Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. Our phone lines will be open 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, or Brian Hefty. All right, we're going to go right to the phone lines today. Got Dave calling in already from St. Louis. Hey, Dave, how are you? Hey, great, Brian. Um, I've watched your uh, YouTube on um, controlling hemp dog bane, right? And I've got a real corn on corn in one of my, and I'm a small grower this is on a two and a half acre field but it's just getting worse and worse i've walked the field okay so part uh, i'm a no-till farmer yep i use acuron i do it in two applications i break the applications and and then i walk the field now six times uh with roundup and i'm not getting it under control. What did the old-time farmers do before no-till? Well, what the old-time farmers did is they had a lot of weeds, and then they cultivated, and then they still had a lot of weeds, and their yields were terrible. Now, no offense. I mean, they they were doing the best that they could, but with what we're able to do today, um, and basically here's, here's what's happening to you, I can almost guarantee you. Your Roundup isn't concentrated enough, so and and I'm going to I'll tell you about firsthand experience I have with doing the exact same thing you're doing. Uh, and I'll I'll just say it as nicely as I can. Our dad was kind of cheap and he at no offense, he was he, you know, it was tough times everything else back in the 80s when I was in high school and in college and everything, but he always wanted us to mix the roundup up week and thought it would do okay. So his solution when we were out walking with with roundup was 40 parts water to one part roundup. And after a while, I mean, so my brother Darren and I, we got firsthand study of lots of weeds over lots of years. And I'm like, Darren, you notice how our water hemp and, or I shouldn't say water hemp, our milkweed and our hemp dogbane, which look very similar, they both have really waxy leaves. It sure looks to me like this stuff is running off. So I said, let's try this. How about if we go instead of 40 to 1, we won't tell Dad, but we'll mix it up 20 to 1 or maybe 25 to 1 and see if it works. And all of a sudden it worked. So it's the concentration. That's what's killing you. Up your concentration of Roundup, lower your water volume, and then it's that's going to kill it. And that's really the only thing that's going to take it out. I'm glad that you said you're using Roundup because if you weren't, I was going to say, well, you're going to have to use Roundup whether you like it or not because that's the only thing that will permanently kill a perennial weed like hemp dogbane or milkweed. Now, will I be able to go in after harvest because I'm getting ready probably in the next four weeks? Sure. And, And... Spray it after harvest. Yeah. Don't do any mowing. Leave as much foliage up as I can. Sure. Yeah, all you now, need is for that uh, weed to be actively growing again, and you can spray it, and mm-hmm. you will kill it. So the key thing, though, with spraying Roundup in the fall is you have to do it at least a couple weeks before your first frost. So as long as you do yeah. that, it'll be fine. 
And in the spring, you can also kill hemp dogbane. It's just you got to let the weather warm up and have a little bit of active growth and spray it there. But the other big key here is you've got to spray a lethal dose. What's happening is yeah. you're getting little doses on it. You're dinging it up a little bit, and it's not enough. And then the problem is the next time you come along, the weed's already damaged a little bit, so it's not going to take the herbicide in as well. It's not going to move it as well, and you're just flat out not going to be able to kill all the growing points above ground, let alone all the ones there are below ground. So that's what's happening for well, you. Well, I, I feel that if you spray it and you don't kill the whole tuber under the ground, all of a sudden, all the, the brothers and sisters come to life. <laughs> you may be right. I, uh, you may be okay. right. I, I just look at it as this, that when you weaken the plant, it and it doesn't make sense, or it didn't make sense to me when I was a, a young farmer and young agronomist. I'm like, how can I? I've already got the plant half dead. Why can't I just finish it off? But you can't. I just talked to a farmer yeah. down in Nebraska, had the exact same question for me like a day or two ago. He's like, well, I got this plant that I've sprayed. Now I go spray it again. I still don't kill it. Yeah, that's the way it works, unfortunately. We need the weed as actively growing as possible. So that's why on your first application of the season, you got to hit it with as strong a dose as possible. That um, herbicide yeah. will, will move all through, and you can kill that whole perennial root system. But I don't when when I'm able to go across in the early spring, I don't have that many leaves out. It's it's standing up in, in a in like a pencil form, but it hadn't leafed out. Does that make sense? Yeah. The way I, that plant that plant doesn't come up like like a typical dicot with two first cotyledon leaves. It shoots this long stem up and then they start rolling out. Oh, I'm, I, I, yes, I, I'm very familiar with uh, hemp dogbane, Dave. That's one of the weeds that we eradicated from our farm years ago, and it took a little bit of trial and error. So that's why I can tell you from firsthand experience, this is how you get rid of it. But, yeah, and then that also is the trouble. If you say, okay, well, I'm, I just have these little weeds there, that means you have to have the Roundup even more concentrated. And a lot of people always say you want more water with herbicides, and that's not right. No. It, when when no. there's almost nothing out there and the weed's really little, it can't absorb much. It can only take a few droplets. So those droplets have to be concentrated, meaning you got to keep your water volume down. How about the use of Liberty? I sprayed some with Liberty, and it sure burnt the top. Now, is that all that's doing is yep. burning the top off? Yes. Now, it's possible that eventually, let's say that you do that again and again and again, and then winter kills yeah. the rest of it off. I mean, that's possible. That's happened for guys before. But no, Liberty is not going to kill the root system on a hemp dog bait. Okay. All right. I'll stay away from that and stay with uh, our Monsanto product that was made right here in St. Louis. <laughs> well, now it's bare, Dave, but uh, yes, yeah, still made. I know it's bare, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Hey, Dave, yeah. great talking okay, to you. Bye. Good luck. All right. See you. You bye. bet. Stay tuned. We'll continue with Farmer Friday next. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. 
Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Now is your chance to refuel your farm equipment for free. Register today at fuel.clos.com for your chance to win $10,000 in free farm diesel fuel. From our high-capacity harvesting equipment to our high-horsepower tractors, Kloss is known for superior performance and exceptional fuel efficiency. So go to fuel.clos.com, then check out the advanced equipment at your local Kloss dealer. That's fuel.clas.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. It's Farmer Friday, my favorite day of the week. If you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Next up, we got our friend Tony Wendler calling in. He's with Farm Shop MFG. Hey, Tony, how are you today? I am excellent, Brian. Beautiful day here in scenic northern Iowa. The temperatures are cooling. Looking forward to a great weekend. All right, harvest is coming up. What things are you talking to farmers about with the impending harvest? Uh, a lot of it is there, uh, especially with the with the heat and stuff like that. People are thinking about beans being very dry. Uh, can we rehydrate them? What do we need to do to to get it done? And how much time does it take to set it up? And uh, the uh, the conversations are yes, you can do it. Uh, the monitors in uh, most bins, when I'm saying this, a lot of people I talk with, are, we're talking like a, uh, a 15 to a 30,000 bushel bin. It will, it'll take to set the monitors in those bins. Uh, first one, maybe uh, five to six hours. The second one, probably less than four. Uh, once you learn how the things go, the uh, putting the end zone and the fan control on, Depending on if you're really savvy on wiring or you get an electrician, we'll add a, a couple more hours to your time. It just depends on if you're going to do it or have an electrician do it. But it does not take long. And uh, the only thing to be thinking about coming into fall is if uh, this heat stays, hopefully not, uh, what the humidity is going to be because we use the humidity to bring the moisture back in. And if the humidity is really low, We've got to wait till the weather changes and get more favorable uh, humidities to uh, change the uh, moisture in the grain. Yeah, a lot of times, though, so, as we get to evening and then early morning, it's it's real humid, at least in our part of the world. So we're pretty lucky that way. Got some dry times of the day, some wet times, so it all depends on what you need to do. But, yeah, you, you mentioned 
uh, the heat, and it to some degree scares me a little bit because here's what I'm seeing as I drive around the country, areas and fields that are turning and other areas that are grass green. And when you see that, that usually means you're going to have super dry beans and wet beans all in the same field, and a lot of guys like to wait. So I know the last two years on our own farm, we've gone out and, and done spots in fields. But, yeah, the bin fan control thing is a really big deal because we've had 8% moisture beans many times in the past, unfortunately. But then we also like to harvest 15 to 17% moisture beans, take the moisture out. I have a lot less harvest loss that way, and we get to get to start on harvest a little earlier. That I will never argue with that not being the best plan. That is absolutely the best plan. As wet as your combine will thrash those beans, go to work. All right, we've been talking with Tony Wendler. He's with Farm Shop MFG. You can check out his work at farmshopmfg.com. Tony, thanks for the time today. Appreciate you calling in. Have a great weekend. You thanks. Too. Bye. Yep. All right, we're going next <laughs> down to the state of Kansas. Got John calling in from down there. Hey, John, how's it going today? I'm doing good. How are you doing today? <laughs> Excellent. So you guys been doing any harvest down there? No, no, no. Uh, uh, we just grow soybeans, uh, a little bit of corn for my cows, but mostly just soybeans. But uh, man, for a while it got scary, you know, because we, we didn't plant until the end of uh, end, end of May and end of June. And beans were doing good. We got rain and all of a sudden it just got hot and dry. And then last week we finally got... Uh, I can't remember. We got a little, it was over two inches of rain down in down in uh, Topeka. Finally, we got a little relief, so that'll that'll carry us by. But then it's been hot all week. It's been in the hundreds. It's like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> yeah, when I, I I look at the drought monitor map when it comes out each week, and uh, the Kansas area, I mean, that whole state just about has had red, red, red just about the whole time. So <laughs> I've felt for you guys down there. We've been in drought too, but we're a little bit cooler at least than you guys. So I mean, what do you, what do you think? on your bean crop is it going to be okay and and make it through all oh, those hot temps i think so i think we'll be all right uh, if we can just get a little bit more rain before before september i mean if we get it in the first the first of september it'll be all right but anything after that then it's really gonna be hurting us <laughs> hey let me let me ask you this since you're used to dealing with pretty hot conditions down there have you found anything that helps you in terms of making better soybean yields are there any practices you do on your farm to to try to beat the heat uh we we like planting with a we got a big air seeder that planted like uh seven or eight inch uh rows yep we the tighter they are uh then they they if it can if you can get them to grow tall enough and it covers that ground then it keeps the ground actually cooler as the as the beans are grown instead of it being like 20 some inches or whatever uh, if there's too much sun hitting the ground it dries that ground out and then they just die out <laughs> i assume you're getting a lot better weed control then too when you get the early yeah, crop canopy yeah. yep 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 exactly <laughs> so how about how about the corn that you're raising how's that doing this year uh it's all right it's not it's better than last year last year was really bad you know, last year we got little tiny years. This year a little bit better, but uh, like I said, uh, the rain helped us. But uh, 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 anything after that, on the corn, if we don't get any more rain, it's, it's going to be done. Where we'll be we'll be we'll be harvesting it early. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we're way ahead on heat units up here, and I'm assuming you are down there too. So I, I, I'm mm. with you. I think harvest is going to come early. We've only had one year in our farm. That was 2012 when it was so hot that we ended up harvesting our corn before our soybeans. That that hadn't happened before or since, but this year we might have a little bit of corn ready before beans again. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So, right. My, I was going to tell you, I don't know if you talk to anybody in the uh, – uh, I can't remember the name of the town, but you take 81 out of Kansas up into Nebraska, yep. and then you go eat, uh, you go west a little ways. I can't remember how far my dad went, but he went and bought a, a piece of farm equipment over there uh, uh, last weekend, and he brought back the beans, a bean and a corn stock, and they weren't even, they were just barely over, the bean was, wasn't even, wasn't even halfway to your knee, and the corn stock was, wasn't even waist high, with a little tiny ear on it. He said, there was, he was seeing like several fields like that, I'm like, they must have got hit really bad with the drought over there. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely some areas that did. Yeah, I, I just did a couple of meetings there in southern Nebraska just a couple of days ago. And it, it's spotty. And it's the same thing up here where some guys got mm. rain, other guys didn't. And sometimes it's the same farmer. Like even on our own farm, I've got one field that's probably gotten four or five inches more than uh, most of the rest of my fields. So just, just the way it goes. Yep. Right. Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, I I listen to you guys every day. Uh, I, I'm a awesome. I'm a I, I'm a long time listener. I don't call you guys much, but uh, <laughs> I I really enjoy your guys' uh, conversations and your your info and, and especially when it comes to like cover crop. See, I'm, I'm going to be calling you guys because right now is not the time. I mean, you're, you're doing this thing, but uh, I want to call in sometime and talk to you because I want to do cover crop for uh, for this year, but I don't know uh, how to do it or what I got to get sure. uh, to do a cover crop after I do my beans uh, this fall. But I figured you can give me some info uh, when I call you sometime uh, next week or whatever. <laughs> okay, that that sounds real good. So we'll be ready for that call, John, and, and we can tr certainly talk cover crops. Because, yeah, it's more than about a one-minute discussion or anything. Right, exactly. I just, you know, I, I know you got other people to talk to. I just, you know, I, I've never done it. I've always wanted to. And I, everybody says there's a lot of great benefits in doing cover crop because we don't, we don't kill our stuff. We, all, we do. It's all no-till, so... I don't know if I can do a cover crop and then do no-till on top of that, but we can talk about that some other time. <laughs> sure. Yep. All right. Well, hey, John, great talking to you today. Appreciate it, and uh, good luck here with the rest of the growing season. You betcha. You, too. Have a take care. Thanks again. <laughs> yep. Yep. Thanks. Yeah, John brought up that cover crop thing, and we have had a lot of discussions about that here over the last few years, on our own farm included. So we're just starting to get into silage right now, and we'll put cover crop right behind that because the ground ends up being pretty bare. Personally, I like oats because it dies off in the winter. And being in a dry area where we're at, I absolutely don't want anything growing in the spring. But some people are in a whole different situation. If you're in a wet area and it's not going to hurt you so much, then having, let's say, rye that lives into the spring can be a good thing. So lots of, lots of different talking points there, and every area is a little different. Every farm's a little different. So uh, hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to John about that here coming up before he gets his first cover crop in the ground. All right, if you'd like to call into the show, we've got some phone lines open, 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The hardworking, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. 
Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids. Extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you want to call in, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Chuck did from down in Missouri. Hey, Chuck, how are things going for you today? Doing great, man. How are you today? Excellent. So this is my second call from Missouri already today. So tell me about your crops. Oh, right now they're uh, they're hot. Um, I think that's I think that's pretty much the sentiment across. Uh, yep. Uh, the, the central U.S. nowadays, but you know what? Really, uh, we we were we were really dry uh, early, and then we've caught here in the last, I'd say, in late July through August, ten, twelve, fourteen inches of rain. Oh wow! Uh, quite frankly, I don't I don't know how the corn looks as good as it looks, as, as hot and as dry <laughs> as we were early. Yeah. Um, the beans, the beans. You know, a month ago I wouldn't have gave you much for them. They just weren't growing. They weren't doing nothing, and and now they just uh, 
they look great. Um, we are actually seeing some SDS show up now um, in some beans. It's not it's not super widespread, but we are seeing some of that. But really, I mean, it's it's a blessing for for what we've been through. Uh, we we've got a decent looking crop now. Obviously, won't know too much until we get out in there. But the the 60 mile an hour crop tour definitely looks good. But uh, <laughs> um, but I think uh, I think we're I think we're going to salvage something fairly decent. It's not going to be record by any means, but uh, uh, average or or maybe anywhere between slightly to below to slightly above average, I think will be the norm around here. Sure. So let me ask you about that sudden death syndrome. Have you had that before? Yeah, yeah, we see it. We see it in this part of Missouri. Uh, you know, almost every year, uh, I treated every every acre, uh, every bag with Saltro. Uh, I'm not seeing a lot of it. I do have some areas that are are traditionally wet yep. um, that weren't wet this spring because sure. we were able to because uh, we were so dry, and those those areas are actually uh, um, showing a little bit of SDS and and you know I think treating it. I don't care what you use if you use Ultra Olivo whatever. I mean I definitely think it it helps keep you from having that widespread outbreak. But but we are seeing a little bit of it here and there. But it's like I said, it's not. I've had total fields wiped out from it in the past and, and not seeing anything like that right now. But um, some varieties, I've got one company that I deal with that, that they've admitted that some of their varieties are, are way more susceptible to it and, and they're seeing it. And, and uh, But like I said, it's, it's nothing it's, it's nothing that, you know, making you drive down the road and go, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, it's – yeah. uh, just going to be a nuisance type of thing more than anything, I think. Yep, that is the one advantage of a very dry spring is you typically don't have as many disease issues. But like you say, you've gotten a whole bunch of rain here lately, so we've had disease stuff pop up late on us up here as well. So white mold is the one that a lot of people up here deal with. Mm -hmm. So anything else that you see out in the crop that uh, is unusual or bad disease, insects, weeds, anything? Uh, we had the, we've had two years of a pretty significant Jap, Japanese beetle pressure. Um, not it's not something that I mean we've always had a little bit of it, but it's not something that we've we've had bad infestations. I sprayed every every acre of, of corn um, with uh, fungicide more more so just for the you know the insecticide part of it. Um, but we the last two years the the Japanese beetles have been have been pretty bad here. Um, but no, no, nothing. I mean, it's uh, nothing out of the the you know ordinary anyway. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it was very dry to begin with. It, it got fairly warm. I mean, there was there was a ton of beans in this part of the area planted first couple of weeks of April, and then uh, then we turned off cold. I actually parked my planter bean planter because um, we turned off cold and and uh, and then but we stayed dry and yeah. everything got in in a in a timely fashion and uh well way more than timely i mean uh, we were done we had some replant to do and i think we even had it done before memorial day which is yeah very unusual for for us so it's been a weird year um you know we're probably this heat's going to probably speed up corn harvest a little bit today's supposed to be our last really nasty day i think here yep um but it's going to speed up the corn harvest a little bit but we're probably still you know, oh, what is today, uh, 25th. I would say we're still 20 days out from, from thinking about doing anything. September 15th probably would be, uh, you know, about the normal start time for us. And I think there is some guys here that planted early April that I assume some short-season corn that they'll sure. probably be shelling corn in the next couple of weeks. But 
but for the most part, it's hard to believe as dry as we've been and whatnot that everything's still staying green and, and holding on. Now, uh, I've actually been laid up sick at home here for the last couple of days with the cold, and I stepped outside, looked at some some beans on some off the patio on some uh, uh, thin ground, and this heat, even as much rain as we've had in the last couple of weeks, this heat has really taken a toll on the the thin spots. They're really starting to to show up. But, yeah, you can. Uh, you know, you can triple digits here. Yeah, you can only ask so much of our crops when you start getting hundred plus exactly. degree temps. We've had some of that as well. Yep. Hey, hey, Chuck, yep. I'm glad to hear that your crop is looking as good as it is. Uh, hope you get over that cold. And thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Not bad. Thank you, guys. Have a great weekend. Yep, you too. All right, we're going next to the state of Colorado. Got Tom calling in. Wants to talk about kosha. Hey, Tom, kosha is a real problem for you, huh? Well, yeah, I've got a uh, just a ten-acre property actually that was a former horse boarding uh, uh, facility okay. that is eighty uh, percent grass and twenty percent kosha, or eighty percent kosha and twenty percent grass depends <laughs> on the area. Well, that and, all uh, sounds trying, bad. Yeah, and I've been trying to kill off this kosha for a couple of years. Uh, it was abandoned for about ten years before I took the property over, and uh, their solution was just to mow it. So the seed bank is extensive. Yep. And been trying to knock this out with that can, but the last couple of years, and just can't seem to make progress on it. Okay, so dicamba is actually real good on kochia. Here are just a couple of things that I would suggest. Number one, I'm using the maximum labeled rate. And two, I'm going to keep the water volume down at least just a little bit. You got to make sure that your droplet size is relatively small and you can get better coverage. Now, as I say that, I understand that that means it could potentially move more. So let me just ask you, do you have trees, garden, uh, neighboring crop, any of that stuff nearby that you could hurt with the dicamba? Nothing that, I, nope, nothing that I need to worry about in that regard. Okay, well, that's a good thing. So, yeah, I, I like dicamba. Now, I will say distinct is better. So if it's me and I say, boy, you know, straight dicamba hasn't quite done it on any broadleaf, I'll go if it's if it's grassland pasture ground then I'm I'm just going to switch over to distinct. It doesn't cost much more money. It's really super good. It's status without the the corn safener and 6 ounces of distinct is the rate that I'd be using. And is that is it a spring only application? Is there something I can do in fall that would kind of help, help as a free emerge? Oh, you can do it anytime. So, um D distinct has some dicamba in it, but there's another uh, pesticide from a different chemical family that's the main weed killer. So a little bit of dicamba, but a lot of the active ingredients actually called diflufenzapyr. So that would be my favorite. Now, if you wanted to use something that's got lots of residual, you could certainly do that. Um, you know, if you want to have some tordon in the mix or something to give you a residual for years, I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect on kosher, but it would absolutely help. You could do that. But if I'm just trying to wipe out what's there right now, I'd probably run with distinct. Okay, very good. And and if it's if it has been mowed, because that's my solution if I can't kill it in spring, uh, is is it still possible if there's good regrowth in fall to hit it again? Oh yeah. Or do I wait till next spring to hit it? Yeah. No. I, I so 
let's put it this way. A lot of people are always asking about the timing on, should I spray now or spring or whatever? I always say, look, if there's a weed there, you go kill it today. So I'm not worried about it. The only thing that I am concerned about is we want to make sure that we're spraying any weed we're after before the killing frost. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is kochia is an annual weed. So the frost and a hard frost is going to kill it. So if we get too close to when your frost is coming, then sure, you can kill what's there. But if it doesn't go to seed, it didn't do you any harm. And I'm just trying to say, you know, today, yeah, I'd probably spray. But if it's a month from now, would I worry about it? I probably wouldn't. I'd just let her go, let the winter kill it, and then I'd be on it as soon as I see it in the spring. And then the other big thing here is you want to make sure that you're doing the right things for fertility with your grass. And that way, hopefully, the grass gets big, chokes it out, and you can kind of go from there. Hey, Tom, good luck with that kosher problem. Hopefully, that helps. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When nematode pressure mounts, seed-applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Corn rootworms are called a billion-dollar bug for a reason. If you don't control the adult populations now, their offspring will cost you later. Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC offers a unique mode of action that delivers fast and long-lasting residual control of corn rootworm beetles and other tough insects. Choose Stewart EC Insecticide from FMC. Always read and follow label directions and precautions for use. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. Are you ready? We got the need, the need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. 360 Yield Saver pays back fast. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. For a 12-row corn head, harvesting 2,000 acres of corn, you'd spend $7,200 on the Yield Savers. Those replacement gathering chains cut header loss by 
With today's corn prices, the grain you save will pay for the investment of 360 yield saver and less than 600 acres. This crop is too valuable to leave bushels in the field due to header loss. Put that extra grain back in your tank with 360 yield saver. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call in, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Jeremy did from down in Mississippi. Hey, Jeremy, how are things down in your state today? Oh, doing well. A little warm, but besides that, we're doing good. <laughs> I think almost everybody so far today has said warm. So, And warm means a little something different when you're in Mississippi. You're really warm compared to us most of the time. So I, yeah, I think it's, it's going to cool down next week when the heat index is only 100. So we'll <laughs> there look forward to it. <laughs> so do you have irrigated crops then or not any non-irrigated? We're all irrigated across the operation. We have less than 1% of the farm that is uh, not irrigated, so uh, of uh, cotton, corn, soybeans, and rice. Is What kind of irrigation is it? Do you have pivot irrigation, flood? F- uh, a flood or a furrow irrigation, as we yeah. call it. Yep. Uh, we, we lay out a, a roll-out uh, poly-style pipe or a woven pipe across the inches of the field, and all of our fields are graded, so it floods from uh, fur- a fur irrigate one side of the field to the other now for the the midwestern united states where we farm there aren't there isn't a high percentage of people that do irrigation but the people that do irrigate i often hear from them and they say yeah it's quite a bit of work to keep an eye on all that stuff so i can only imagine with laying out all those pipes and having all that going over all your acres and the amount of water you need down there that's got to be your full-time job isn't in the summer isn't it it is. It is. There's no break in the in the summertime. I would say we planting and harvest season gets to be a little bit easier. Uh, irrigation season can be very challenging, and uh, we've looked at a lot of different things to do to improve uh, our efficiencies of irrigation. We uh, we have a good source of groundwater, but we also implement surface water into it, so we can reclaim any water that we're using uh, back into uh, the fields a second time or a third time. We've uh, uh, we use a computer control a computer uh, tabulated uh, hole punching system, so we know exactly what size hole to punch in the pipe for every row across the farm. So all of our water gets to the end of the field at the same time, and it'll tell us how long it will take to get there. Uh, we use a lot of electric wells. I would say 13 diesel units and 130 electric wells across the operation, and uh, all of our rice fields, or majority of our rice fields, have gone to a timer system to where the well cuts on and cuts off automatically, depending on the field size and the pump size for that that field. So we don't it's less management. I would, I guess, you would say. <laughs> As you were describing all that, I just got to thinking. Uh, you're probably, all, I, I mean, a tremendous expert in this whole water management thing, almost as much as you would be knowing about whatever crop it is you're raising, huh? Yes. Uh, <laughs> irrigation management is just important as fertility management, a herbicide, a variety picking, you know, uh, and it's, we use soil moisture sensors. We, you know, they're still the old, there's nothing like taking a shovel out there and digging down and, and looking at the soil and make a decision by looking at the weather forecast. But uh, right now it's extremely hot. 
the sun's shining, we've got a five to ten mile an hour breeze. You could almost irrigate the crop just to, to cool it down and, and help it out, even though there's moisture in the ground. There's all these different things that we always say irrigation gets to be more of an art than a science at certain times of the year. You mentioned the cooling, and that is one of the things that I've talked to uh, or talked with about farmers in the southern United States and where it is so hot. And that's one of the reasons they've liked center pivot, because they were able to throw water on over the top of the crop to cool it down. So is, is that something that you guys have looked at, or how come you're in the flood or, or furrow irrigation thing rather than doing any center pivots? Well, there, there are some pivots around here. We've had some pivots on the farm. There's a couple of things that, that it's a management decision, but one of the most important things about farming in the Mississippi Delta is drainage. So when you grade a field that's, you know, taking off the highs and put them in the lows, because we have just nothing but topsoil here, yep. uh, you improve the drainage dramatically so you can furrow irrigate. Uh, our soil type changes so dramatically. So if you have a pivot, you might be sandy on one side and heavy on the other. So you're over irrigating and getting the pivot stuck in your clay soils yep. and not getting enough water on your sandy soils. And the other thing is with the furrow irrigation, we're able to get so much more water onto the field quicker. So I mentioned we have a bunch of wells and everyone starts thinking, I was like, well, you pump a lot of water. We actually pump less water with more wells. And the reason why is we'll watch the weather forecast. And if it takes us, quote, if you had a pivot, you would cut it on, you'd leave it on the, until it rained. Mm -hmm. uh, we could wait until we see the weather forecast if it is gonna rain or it's not gonna rain. And then we can jump out and water the whole farm in two or three days and then we're good for the week. If we took us seven days to get around, we couldn't yep. get behind. So right. we'd have to start early. And uh, so having more wells gives us the flexibility to water the farm fast, and we're able to catch a lot of uh, rains and pump less water because of that. So I assume water is very readily available for you there. It's not, or is it a big deal to, to drill another well? No, it's not a, uh, a big deal. We, we do permit uh, our wells, and uh, but our, our wells are about 100 feet deep, and the water's about 40 to 60 foot in the ground. So uh -huh. most of our wells on a 60-horsepower vertical hollow shaft motor, uh, you're looking at around 2,000 to 2,500 gallons per minute. <laughs> yeah. The that's, rest of the world awesome. hates me right now because they're burning <laughs> up. But as, as I always tell someone, it's been a long, hot summer down here having to deal with this all summer long also. Yeah, for sure. So what what's going to be your best crop this year that you raise, you think? You know, it, it's really hard to say because it's such a long season to go. We have finished our corn crop. We had some hail damage on, on probably two-thirds of it. And it, 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 hit, it hurt the yield, and that's rare for us to have hail damage. Uh, but the non-hail damage crop was what I consider average or above average. We're happy with it. We're just getting into our rice, and we'll be in it for another two weeks. Uh, we'll probably start soybeans in uh, seven days, maybe five days. And uh, uh, our cotton has yet to be defoliated. So there's still a, long, a, lot, of, there's still a lot of time left in this game. Uh, and we like the rotation of the corn and cotton and the rice and soybeans. Uh, it diversifies the portfolio across the, the farm as far as uh, from an economic standpoint, but also does really good. Uh, it's really good, I think, for the crops and the yields and the uh, rotation for the, the soil. 
We rarely talk about rice here on the show, but what's your biggest yield limiting factor there? Other than if you take away heat and moisture, what what's the biggest challenge you have with rice? I would say, you know, one of the things that we struggle with is there is disease in rice and, and insects, but uh, one of the issues that we run into is uh, uh, Roundup drift. Uh, it's um, uh, Rice is not Roundup ready, and if every other crop you have is Roundup ready, yep. you know, it's the drift standpoint is one of the things that is limited uh, uh, production and growth in the in the rice market in this area, and a lot of people have given up growing rice just because of the risk is not worth taking for them. So we try to block all of our rice in a big on a farm that this you know this year we have rice on four farms, but it's about you know seven hundred acres here, five hundred acres there, and it's a big block. So it makes yep. it a, a, a it's harder to hit a big target if that makes sense. But if you have like a forty acre rice field. That's a pretty small target to hit, and it gets hit pretty easily. Right. Well, hey, Jeremy, this has been super interesting stuff. Um, it just sounds like uh, something, some things that are completely different than what we deal with up here in the upper Midwest. So I, I guess I just want to wish you luck here for the rest of the growing season. Sounds like you got a lot of work ahead of you before things finish up down there, and hopefully things will cool down for you just a little bit soon. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Have a great day. Yep, you too. Yeah, <laughs> once you hear Jeremy's stories there about all his work with the irrigation and everything, it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess being a dryland farmer maybe some days isn't so bad. But anyway, I know we were certainly praying for rain this year, and I, I would have appreciated any kind of irrigation. It would have been amazing. And when he talks about his 2,000 gallons a minute, we have solid granite below most of our farm. So in a lot of cases, we're talking 20 gallons a minute. If you're super lucky, 50 gallons a minute. So we're just a little off of that 2,000. All right, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag coming up next. Stay tuned. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Oh. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. 
And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. From mowing to loading or even moving snow, a John Deere compact utility tractor is ready for any task. During the CNB Summer Blowout event going on now, get yours for zero money down and 0% interest for 84 months. This offer won't last forever, so check out your nearest CNB or learn more at DeerEquipment.com. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Going right back to the phone lines. Got Lane from Maryland next. Lane, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Excellent. Oh, and I said Maryland. Looks like Missouri. Is it Missouri? It, it is Missouri. We're a little ways from Maryland. Hey, ex- yeah, excellent. So apparently I can't read now. So anyway, uh, hey, uh, all right. So our third caller today from Missouri. What uh, what's happening in your farm right now? Oh, we're just prepping for fall right now. Getting combines ready, corn heads ready, bean heads ready. You name it. Getting bins, making sure everything's serviced on them, ready to go before we put grain in them. And just truthfully. We're still irrigating soybeans, so and a little bit of corn for that matter. So there's quite a bit of stuff going on right now. So is harvest going to come just a little earlier than normal for you on your farm this year? Oh, maybe just a little bit, but not much. We usually don't start picking till picking corn till that no earlier than that third or fourth week of September for us. Um, and I don't, I don't foresee it being any earlier than that. We have some early maturity soybeans, though, that will probably be ready, honestly, probably mid-September. They'll be ready to start cutting them, and they're they're already done what they're going to do for the year and starting to mature out. So I think some of the early maturity beans will be, but most everything else will be about normal. Hey, I just want to ask you, since you raise corn and beans down there, a lot of people are dealing with Palmer pigweed now. Is that the number one weed on your farm? Oh yeah, well yeah. In certain certain fields, we we're kind of spread north to south, and the south end of the farm is yeah, it's awful. Uh, that and Johnson grass, we fight those two weeds every single year, and it just they're two nasty weeds to deal with. They they they're they're terrible to have in your fields. So, what have you found that works the best for you on these two tough weeds? For us. It's been, well, it's it's more than one thing, but uh, yep. number one is just making sure we have a good, making sure we have a good stand of crop. Anywhere there's a hole out in the field, whether that's from a washed out, or not washed out, but a drown out spot, or a, 
or just a thin stand. It just seems like those areas just are an absolute magnet for these weeds. So yep. one is making sure we get a good crop canopy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and next is mixing mixing uh, different chemistries in the sense of maybe if we're going after Johnson grass and soybeans, instead of just throwing Roundup at it, we'll throw Roundup and we'll throw Clef at them just yeah. to try and get extra activity out there. And the same goes for same goes for the Palmer pigweed, which Roundup, they laugh at Roundup, it seems like. But <laughs> yep. when it comes to mixing something like Enlist with Liberty and running both of those at the same time and getting them when they're small, because if they get if they get any size on them, when I was, and what I mean by that is if they get up to a foot tall, it's they're they're really tough, especially when you have crop out there that is kind of in the way of your coverage, you know, kind of blocking some of those plants from getting good coverage on them. Yeah, yep, for sure. How about any diseases or insects, anything that's been a real problem for you this year in corner beans? Oh, and the corn, the one thing our area is dealing with is the first time that we haven't dealt with before is tar spot. You're seeing it in nearly every field to some degree or, or, or some degree or another. Um, we did an R1 application of fungicide on all of our corn, and we see, like, some some of it's worse than others, but, you know, it that's, that seems to be the one thing that's got a lot of buzz going on. But we just yeah. were so saturated that last week of July, first week of August, that we're just seeing a lot of disease pressure in the corn specifically, whether that's tar spot or anthracnose, or I've been seeing a lot of stock rots lately where corn's yep. just getting weak and dying. I mean, yep. it's just been, we're so, we, we were just so cool and wet there for about two weeks straight that it just seemed like the disease just erupted inside some of this, these corn fields. Were you guys hot and dry early so, on in the season? Yeah, for mid-May all the way till the very last day of June, we yeah. didn't have any measurable rain whatsoever, and it was warm. Yeah. Um, that whole time period, we ran a lot of irrigation during that time period. And then we turned off very wet for the first week to two weeks of July, getting upwards of six, seven inches in certain spots. And then we turned off hot and dry again for the second half of July, and we were praying for rain. And then for the end of July, beginning of August, it seemed like we couldn't get any heat and we couldn't get the rain to stop. And between those two months, we got, well, I think we're right around that 13 inches of rain in July and the beginning of August altogether. Well, boy, boy, Lane, that sounds like just an average year. Way too high, way too low on everything. And then, then you're right back to normal, so... <laughs> and here we are irrigating again. Yep. Two weeks ago, everybody in our area was praying, like, please, can we just get some heat? And we just want it to dry out. Yep. And then the other day, my brother my brother is talking to me. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to go over there and start kicking some of these pivots back on again. I think some of the stuff's starting to dry out again. I'm like, just never, <laughs> you never have one or the other. You just get one or the other. You don't get both at the same time. Yep, like, yep. Well, hey, Lane, it's been great talking to you today. Hopefully your crop turns out great this year. And thanks a lot for calling into the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, Brian, you have a good one. Yep, you too. All right, we got a little bit of time yet today. Let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, our first one, I, I really wanted to get to this today. I was hoping we'd have enough time. This one comes from Mike, and or sorry, from Dean, about... Mike's soil test. So Dean's an agronomist and Mike's a farmer and he sent us some soil tests about a month back and I said I have like half the information here I need send me more. And anyway 
so I, I said, here's what I'd like you to do for soil tests and everything. So they did this. Sent some soil tests in. I got some complete tests here, and now I can talk about this. Well, anyway, there there's somebody who told this farmer that he needs to put sugar beet lime on this soil that's up in northern North Dakota. Let me just read off a couple of numbers for you here. So in just in the top six inches, 11,590 parts per million of calcium in the good area, in the bad area, 16,600 parts per million. Now, his base saturation number isn't that terrible, uh, 73, 71%, because he's got lots of magnesium, too. His excess lime rate is high, so in other words, these aren't real numbers. There isn't actually that much calcium that's bound to the soil, and he doesn't have a cation exchange capacity, like it says here, of 78 in the good area and 116 in the bad area that's that would be that would be off the charts high if that was real we were talking about this in the show a little bit yesterday our suggestion is run a cation displacement test uh, you can talk to neil kinsey about that and then you'll see what's actually real but let's put it this way number one his question was should i put sugar beet lime out there i i'm just gonna say this and here's the thing it's possible that i could be wrong um, so, you know, I, I, and like, just like we often talk about on the show, whenever Darren and I have disagreements on something, we just say, you know what, let's just try it on a small scale. We'll prove it in the field. Okay. I could be right. I could be wrong. I'm 95% sure. Actually, I'm about 99.9% .9 sure I'm right on this one though. There's no possible chance I'm putting more lime out there. You've already got a ridiculous amount of calcium that's on that soil. Now, the one thing I will say about sugar beet lime is it's not just calcium. You get a whole bunch of phosphorus, and your phosphorus levels aren't great, but they certainly are not bad. In the bad area, you're at 61 parts per million on a malic 3 phosphorus test. So you want that to be much higher. I, I Like on our farm, I like to be a minimum of 100, because don't forget the malic 3 is similar to a strong bray test. That's telling you what's available now and what hopefully will come available next year. But here's the thing. When you have that much calcium, that much magnesium, you're going to get tie-up and free lime out there. You're going to get tie-up. So banding makes a lot of sense. Like for me on, on my farm, uh, we strip-till in situations like this. If I had a field like this, I'd strip-till. But that that's the nutrients. Oh, and then also potassium. you got to have potassium. You only have 146 parts per million in the bad area, which means 0.3% base saturation K. And even if you take out the excess lime and say, okay, well, that's not actually attached to the soil, you're probably at best 0.6.7% base saturation K. You do not have enough K to raise a great crop. But here's the whole thing, and this is the real problem. It's poor drainage. The sodium levels are high, not super high, but they're high. The soluble salt levels are high. The sulfur levels, you have thousands and thousands and thousands of parts per million. If I take the top 24 inches, because he did a 0 to 6 and a 6 to 24, um, we're talking about, uh, at least in the bad area, it's about 14,000 parts per million. So we've got tens of thousands of pounds of sulfur you don't need a whole lot of anything to flush out that excess magnesium and calcium other than fix your drainage. Get tile out there. That's the first money I'm spending, and that should hopefully solve a lot of your problems. And then ban some fertilizer. That'll help you out. You can raise a better crop. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today. Thanks to my sister Janelle for producing the show for us. Thanks to everybody who called in, and thank you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.